0: Welcome to NREI's Common Area Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the award-winning editorial staff at nreionline.com. Let's jump right into this week's podcast.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Common Area with your host, David Bodimer. We're going to dive into this week's top stories. Good morning, David. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Fantastic. I'm I'm excited. I, I know we've got a lot to cover today, so I'm going to let you go at it. What are we talking about?
0: So we're talking about three stories that we posted this week. One is a look at the top cities for Generation Z, which is based on a ranking that this company, Nestpick put out. Secondly, we have an update on what Ford investors are doing when it comes to U.S commercial real estate. And then lastly, we have a piece at looking at what some of the implications are of the new rent control law that's gone into effect in California and what some of the what that might mean for multifamily owners and investors
1: in that state going forward. Gotcha. All right. So we've got quite a bit to cover. So we're starting with the world's top cities for Generation Z. And, and David, forgive my ignorance, what, which generation is this now? What what age group are we talking about? This is like the, the
0: people after millennials, basically. So Generation Z, I think roughly anyone... Um, that, that was born starting in the mid to late 1990s to the early 2000s Got is generally, generally considered Generation Z.
1: Generation Z, all right. So they, they used a bunch of metrics. I've actually taken a look at those. Really, really interesting stuff, but I'm going to let you start. What what are your observations?
0: Yeah, so, I mean, I thought it was interesting. Part, part, part it did strike me just how comprehensive they were. Just to say who this is, N- Nestpick is um they are a company that does uh listings for like furnished apartments. Um so it's just kind of like an online listing service. And I think that they, you know, this is just a piece of content that they developed. I was struck that, yeah, that they went to such lengths to rate, you know, they had kind of five big buckets of of metrics that those included digital, uh what they called principles, leisure, uh And business, and then among those, sorry, that's four, not five. Uh, But then among among those, then they had like five, you know, varying numbers of subcategories. So overall, they had twenty two metrics by which they used to generate this ranking. Um, I was so I you know I found the methodology pretty um, interesting and comprehensive. Then for the actual you know the list that we posted um, was just the top twenty. If you go to their site, you can like view. I think over a hundred cities that they ranked mm-hmm. across the board, but in terms of the top twenty, I was struck by you know it's very Eurocentric. Um, so there's I think there's like in the top twenty there were like three, if I'm not mistaken, three cities from Sweden and um, at least three from Germany. So um, and then a few others from other parts of Europe, and then the number one city that they came up with in their ranking was
1: London. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I noticed that the, the top cities that I was looking at, they were all very expensive cities, including Los Angeles, New York, um, London, I mean, really, really expensive places to live, and I, I don't know, overall, I know that there's a ton of metrics in there, uh, but that seems pretty high-priced areas to live for, for any generation, not just Generation Z, who are still starting out, in my opinion.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, these are all, I think you're right. These are all fairly expensive cities if you're going to look at that housing. But I think that's balanced out by all these other metrics that they were looking at, which include things, you know, like connectivity and mm-hmm. the availability of co working space and the ability to freedom of expression, LGBTQ equality, things like that, which then you know, these all, all these, cities score very highly in, which I think they're basing on things that they view as important for people who are members of this generation.
1: Yeah, and and they did use a 0 to 100, or 1 to 100 mm-hmm. scale, right. uh, and I found this very interesting, David. Uh, the the So, 1 being the worst, 100 right. being the absolute best. Uh, for the most expensive city, we have Zurich, uh, hmm. but under one of the other categories, which, which ranked as a 1, <laughs> the lowest possible ranking, uh, so being the most expensive, and then uh, they also have a category which I thought was uh, very interesting: the right to protest. Right, and Zurich's a 100. So even though it's the most expensive, you can complain all day long, right? Because it's a hundred, <laughs> you, you're allowed to do that. And it'll come as no surprise uh, to and to anybody listening. Uh, but if you filter this by the 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 place that is least you have the least right to protest, big surprise: Shanghai and Beijing. <laughs> Yeah. We we know that Hong Kong has been in the news a lot lately with a lot of protesting, right. a lot of human rights issues, and so on and so forth. But uh yeah, ranking it number or, or the number one, which is the worst, is both Shanghai and, and Beijing. So really interesting stuff. I love this. Yeah. Thing.
0: Actually that is interesting. I didn't I didn't actually sort by that category, but looking at it now, I mean it is a pretty interesting list of who's at the bottom here, you know, Turkey, you know, mm-hmm. who obviously is in the news yep. right now for some pretty awful things. Uh UAE, uh our, you know, good friends Russia yeah, are, are yes. down near the bottom here. And then several <laughs> other uh, Middle Eastern um and it's and then Pacific and then like um Pacific nations like Thailand and Singapore. So yeah, I mean not exactly surprising, but um
1: yeah. No,
0: not scoring well here.
1: <laughs> not doing so hot. And, of course, the the number one city for uh, price-wise was New Delhi, which mm. uh, yes. that, they scored 100. So I'm, I'm assuming it's extremely cheap to live there, uh, but I don't know how they ranked on the rest of it. Because I see a few ones, in fact, a lot of ones, in a lot of the different categories. Healthcare, I think, is one of them. Yeah, access to healthcare is a one. So yeah. you can live there for super, super cheap, but don't get sick or hurt.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and then so in, in the gallery that we did, we took that was one of the metrics we we couldn't just because the way we formatted it, we couldn't put the scores for all these various subcategories for each city mm-hmm. into the, into the gallery we made. But we did include all of the ones that fit under business, so that did include um, the affordability metrics for those top twenty cities. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, and also included an entrepreneurial spirit and innovation, um, availability of co-working spaces, social entrepreneurship, and just an, an a an AI industry as well. Which that one jumped out at me as like, oh, okay, we are, um, you know, like that's that's of importance now. But we have to worry about what's happening with, with AI and and, <laughs> and, I guess, and 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 as a good thing. Yeah. Um, uh apparently for for some of these cities on this on this metric, so, cause like San Francisco was the number 1 for AI industry they they got the 100 in that one
1: mm, wow wow it, who got number who got the number 1 as in like just one like you're off the uh, grid <laughs> i think i am assuming you're off the grid in on the in that city
0: there was a no, there was a number tied for one and it's sort of interesting florence and um padua italy huh uh, Bruges. I'm probably butchering that. Bruges, Bruges, Belgium. Quebec City, Doha, and Muscat, Oman, all got ones. So yeah. um, I don't know. I'm sort of. Inter- I guess it's interesting to, you know, they definitely had a methodology. I don't, you know, like for like for all these different things. You go on the site. It's pretty fascinating to see. But like, you know. And the fact that you can kind of sort by each of the each of the cities, by each of the categories, all that kind of stuff makes it kind of a, fu- a fun sort of list to play with, you know. So we just, I mean, for our piece, you know, we link back to the full um, to this full site, but we just, we did kind of like a um, takeaway version top twenties. Uh, included the business metrics. You know, quick way to kind of digest. If you're just really curious about seeing which cities the, that this that according to this methodology are the best for Gen Z, if you want to go um, dive deeper, you could follow the link from our site back to these guys.
1: Well, to, to wrap it up, I just want to say congratulations to Los Angeles and New York, who both made the top five, and uh, so that's two representatives from the USA. In the top five, and no other country in the top five has two besides us. Okay, so there we go. <laughs> there we
0: go. <laughs> and then, it, and then I think San Francisco and Seattle also made the list. Oh, so nice! Two, in, in, two the two in the top twenty. twenty. Oh, right. You know, so for four in the top twenty, two of the top five. Um,
1: so yeah, Not representing so yep, rep rep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything else we need to cover on this one?
0: No, I think we kind of, I think we got,
1: um, we got the highlights out of this one. I believe so. All right.
0: Uh, so the next is looking at some of the latest numbers that we now have. Uh, I think this is actually something we've we've looked at a few times um, in in previous episodes. But more more metrics have come out about foreign investment in U.S. commercial real estate, I think it's an interesting thing to come back to because it sort of speaks to. Um, I think it's interesting to always the 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 reason I think is important to to look at this number is that you know most investors in commercial real in u s. commercial real estate are u s. investors. They are also not investors that are going to invest in overseas. So they're just in u s. commercial real estate for good and for bad. Right. They're not just they're not like discretionarily you know they may buy or sell at a slower or faster pace, but they're always buying and selling in the u s. Um, so, it's more interesting in some ways to look at investors that are more discretionary if you want to get some kind of reading as to how attractive um, US commercial real estate is or just in or flat out how attractive investing in the US is. So, um, I just thought that was important context for like why we, you know, why this is a, why I find this a good number to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we found, so what the latest numbers show, this is from Real Capital Analytics, is that cross-border investment declined 54% year over year in the most recent time period that they looked at. So, you know, what does that mean? I think that that means that, you know, partly... What they explained it as, you know, some of the people that we talked to is just general choppiness in the market. You know, some of this stuff just there's just going to be fluctuation up and down. Maybe don't read too much into it. Um, However, um, there are other factors that could be more important that aside from just, you know, general randomness. One is that, you know, it's just a sign of how competitive. Um, pricing has got, gotten how tight yields are, in which case, you know, it's harder to harder to pull a trigger on a deal in the US if you can get a better yield somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So that's one potential. Uh, and, and the search for yield has definitely been um, something that drive that has driven patterns with how these investors operate anyway, because what we've seen is even when they've stayed in the US, They've gone from core markets to secondary markets. They've gone from core property types to some of the alternative commercial real estate property types, all in the search for yield. So, um, you know, they've already had to be more creative to find to hit their targets. Um, Now they seem to have backed off a little bit in terms of buying in the U.S. So it means that they're either seeing better yields elsewhere, you know, that as a potential explanation. Yeah. But then the other factor that could be at play here is just, you know, people seeing the U.S., seeing some of the uncertainty, potential uncertainty economically or politically in the U.S., and maybe, like, being a little more cautious about investing here right now.
1: Mm -hmm. I mean, that makes perfect sense, and it's definitely turbulent, so. Yeah.
0: So I think that's why it's just, you know, so, you know. The, those are the latest numbers. Those are the potential explanations for what's going on. Um, the only other sort of interesting point, I think, in the piece um, was the five countries that have been the most active buyers in the US in the first half of this year uh, were Canada, Israel, Germany, the UAE, and Bahrain. Hmm. So, those are the players that those are the at least the nations where the most active um, investors in US commercial real estate have come from so far uh, in, in the first half
1: of 2019. Gotcha. Any explanation why? Any thoughts on that? I mean, Canada is
0: always a big, uh, you know, obviously right next door, um, a lot of big pension funds, a lot of big REITs up there. So, there's always a healthy amount of Canadian. Equity that's looking to get in US markets. For some of the others, I mean, also Israel is usually a fairly um, consistent buyer, you know, investor. There are some, some REITs that have expo that are based there that invest in the US or some REITs that have uh, US REITs that have a lot of money from Israel behind them. So, um, you know, they're, that's fairly consistent to see that. Some of the others, um, you know, Middle Eastern money, yeah, that. Tends to find its way into US real estate. So, so there's no real surprises and no real like changes. Those are all mm-hmm. like, you know, some of the specific nations might change, but like seeing Middle Eastern money in the US, um, seeing Canadian money in the US is nothing that unusual. So for some of these nations too, you often have um, sovereign wealth funds that are big investors in US real estate, um, so which I think could be the case with both UAE and Bahrain in addition to any private money they have.
1: Yeah, and I'll be the first to say it. We love Canadians and their money, either <laughs> <one. laughs> way. I, mean,
0: I think you the, la- the last factor that um, that's at play when anybody's doing this kind of stuff is like you know currency hedges. So, mm-hmm. um, which is a little bit beyond my <laughs> um, you know out, out outside my yeah me too wheelhouse. But you know <laughs> I know that that plays in. You know when you're looking at your currency, domestic currency, or comparing different currencies, you know that that can play into. To where you decide to invest as a way of um, mitigating risk. Mm-hmm.
1: So that's that's kind of uh, what we need to get out of that piece. All right, moving on to California's new rent control law. So what are we talking about here? This sounds like a pretty big deal.
0: Yes. So California, um, the law was it was it was put into law. It goes into effect January one. Um, so going forward. What this will mean is that multifamily landlords will have a maximum amount that they can raise rents in a given year, and it's 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 actually set at a fairly high number, in my opinion, which is that it's five percent plus the rate of inflation. So mm-hmm. for for so you know that would allow and it would allow a maximum annual rent increase of of eight percent. I think for the most for the most part, if you're you know the, so the only real kinds of property the properties that would be most affected by that kind of thing, that where it might might actually slow down some investment in the space, is if you're trying to buy um, a more rundown property and or a mismanaged property and you're trying to come in. You want to renovate the thing and you want to bring it up to market rents, then you'll have some problems. Because in that case, you know, the the, the, trying to take, you know, if you take taking a a lower class property, turning it into a higher class property, but not being able to raise the rents to what the higher class rents should be, that's a problem. Um, For most other situations, where you're talking about just like annual rent increases on existing tenants, or if like you're not talking about a property that's that's had any major equity put into it. I think in most years, you're not going to see, you know, rent increases anywhere close to 8%.
1: So, but this is truly though, it really only affects those folks that are going to buy property that have current tenants in it, that they're going to be renovating and, and um, while the people are in there, because if, if there's nobody in there, I would assume that you could, you refurb it, you do whatever, make it a higher end property, then you don't have to abide by that law, correct? Because there's nobody in there to raise rent on. It's just you set a higher rent. Yep.
0: Yeah. So that that's that that's correct. So basically, the it's meant to protect the situations where not necessarily buying. Yeah, if you buy a vacant building and you renovate it, you're going to you know charge market rents. Um, I think what you know what it's meant to the situations that that, are, that we're that I'm talking about would be. You know where somebody tries to come in, buy a lower class building, and then jack the rents up on the people who are mm-hmm, there. Mm-hmm. In and if and basically in in and let's be honest in a um, in an effort to to replace them since you exactly. you know like you know no one's going to be able to you know you raise the rent on somebody that's by twenty twenty five percent or something like that you know that's just not tenable.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's I mean, to me. It's criminal, right? I mean, you're you're basically yeah. making somebody homeless at that point, or they have to change their entire life because you want to get higher quote unquote higher end tenants in there, or just make more money. So, no, I, I agree. It's a good thing to have some regulation there.
0: Yeah, so you know, I think you know the industry in general doesn't like rent control, um, obviously, because anything around any implication about rate, you know. Caps on being able to raise rent, which then could re- affect your ability to generate incomes, all that sort of stuff, is you know there's going to be resistance to it. But to me, it seems like the the window here, the 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 window of rent rental w- what they're allowed to do is not really going to affect that many. It's not going to really slow. It's not going to really. It's not. It's not a disincentive to to a whole lot of people. People are still going to be able to raise rent at 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 up to eight percent a year and i don't I don't think that's going to have a dramatic effect on how people are investing in multifamily property in. Um, california and that's that's generally what what some of the you know what the people we talked to for the article said too which is that like you know it's not going to have a huge effect on a majority of assets there's probably you know I'm sure you will be able to find examples of somebody who wanted to do x and then couldn't yeah. and you know it, that deal doesn't happen but for the most part it just doesn't seem like it's like something that would be massively disruptive to um the industry um you know i think a lot you know but a lot of people are going to want to take that line because they they don't want, rent, you know, the industry doesn't want there to be this kind of regulation uh, because they want to be able to do what they want to do.
1: No, that makes absolutely perfect sense. And here's the good news, David, is that if they're in Los Angeles, Los Angeles scored 85 on the right to protest thing. So if they really want to protest this issue, <laughs> Los Angeles got an 85 on that list there from earlier. You, so there hey, you go. Hey, yes. Get out there with your picket sign and uh, go to it. Yeah. Good point. (laughs) 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 All right. Now that wraps up our California stuff. What other headlines did you guys cover this week?
0: Yeah, a couple other pieces to, to just draw attention to. Um, One is there, we had some, some numbers from CoStar um, looking at what retail construction levels are um, within, you know, the, the industry overall across all the retail subsectors spoiler, you know, Development remains low and for retail. Um, but you go kind of look at the, mm-hmm. the more in depth numbers in the story. Um, secondly, uh, we, the couple, there was a a conference in New York this week on commercial real estate technology. So we had some pieces um, looking just at what's going on with PropTech. Uh, one is just a take, so we have a couple of pieces that are just takeaways from what was discussed at the conference. We also did a, a kind of a little mini round table with um, a few different experts from Deloitte and Chamber Creek and this company called Stratus, um, which is a smart apartment IoT platform. Um, so we just, you know, talk to them about how commercial real estate players um, can make decisions about what technology they should be investing in, just given the wealth of uh, options on the market. And then last week we had another Q, Q and A um, with the CIO of. Uh, Kairos Investment Management mm. um, about just you know how people should invest, uh, approach investing in REITs right now. So those were some of the other uh, highlights for the week that people can check out at uh, NREIonline.com.
1: Perfect. Thank you so much, David. This was great. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Have a, have a good weekend. Absolutely. You too. And thank you all for listening to the Common Area Podcast with David Bodemer. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when David comes out with a new podcast, which he does weekly, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your colleagues. Thanks again for listening today. For everyone at NREI, this is Eric Johnson inviting you back next week for all the news that matters to you. We'll talk to you soon.
0: Thank you for listening to the Common Area Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of NREI or Informa. The content has been made available for information and educational
1: purposes only.